There we are. You have no idea all of the craziness that just happened in the back there. Thank you, men, for uh, the hard work that you do to make our services better for everyone. I see in Acts chapters 18 through 20, this is the second half of Paul's third missionary journey, a, a church is being established. A church that will stand for the power of God, even though there are many other forces of opposition to the gospel of God. Because there were going to be many different oppositions, I think it's important for us to realize that deceptive portrayals by the opposition is not a 21st century creation. Yesterday, our own Bryson competed against himself in the regional cross-country meet. I've never been a jogger or a runner, but I have been told that every runner comes to a point where his or her mind tries to convince the body that it can't go on. But to the runner who pushes through the wall, he or she catches a second wind to persevere. The opposition to keep Bryson from finishing was himself. The opposition to keeping Jen from finishing was herself and her understanding of her body. Every football team from grade school to the pros has a defense whose job it is to stop the offense from achieving yardage. Many of us hope K-State had a better defense last night. For some of us, the greatest opposition of our lives happened when a child was a two-year-old. For others, it was when he became a teenager. Like every single commercial break in every other internet ad, it's telling me what is good about one political candidate and how the opposition is misleading about the candidates. I thought I would never say this, but in, I, I'd almost welcome an ad about my car's extended warranty right now. The opposing forces influence us in many realms of life. Some opposition is easy to overcome. Other opposition requires a great amount of tenacity. The deceptive opposition not only happens in the home, in athletics, and within politics. Deceptive opposition is also very real in the spiritual realm. Over the next two weeks, you will encounter dark forces that masquerade as having more power than they possess. Physical harm will be threatened by costumed ghouls. And weak spirits will struggle to impress with their knowledge of the future. God himself faced misleading opposition in the form of a serpent. Jesus encountered misleading opposition when his kingdom threatened the power structure of the religious leaders. And even after defeating death and the grave, the gospel message 
continued to experience opposition as the kingdom of Jesus is now spreading towards the north and towards the west. Today's section in the book of Acts describes the opposition faced by Paul on the second half of his third missionary journey. And just as Jesus proved his authority over disaster, over demons, and over death, Paul's opposition now takes on many forms. And we don't only study this to see what opposition Paul faced. We study this because we see as Paul gained victory over his opposition, we can obtain victory over that which opposes us. The first lesson is in the first seven verses of chapter 19, where we see that the power of God was able to inform those who had a limited spirituality. We read about a preacher by the name of Apollos who was good but not great. Because Paul and Apollos had complementary skill sets. If you look at chapter 18, beginning in the end of verse 24, you will see Luke's description of Apollos as being a godly man, a man who spoke very well, a man who knew the scriptures. Luke speaks well of Apollos. But Priscilla and Aquila listen to him, and they see something that is valuable so rather than shame him publicly, they took him aside and they said, here, are some room, here is some room for improvement in your message. Luke speaks highly of him. Priscilla and Aquila coach him off to the side. And Paul himself spoke of Apollos' contribution to the harvest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. They, see, Apollos is not a bad preacher. He was just a different preacher, and he preached what he knew, yet it was still limited. And we see that Apollos remained teachable so that he then gained new wisdom and became a better preacher. See, the spread of the gospel was not a well-refined set of beliefs and behaviors. It's not like somebody handed Apollos, here is a manual, this is what you are supposed to teach. As the gospel is spreading through the book of Acts, it was a love for Jesus who was resurrected from the dead that was spreading. And, and, and it's hard to put within a book love for a person who is so powerful. But it was that love for Jesus that was spreading throughout the book of Acts. And once Jesus' person and his work were established so that people could repent of their sin and believe in what Jesus did for them, then months or years of discipleship started. And after Apollos is discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. He then, in chapter 18, verse 27, is recommissioned, and he is sent out with their blessing. So just because Apollos was a limited missionary did not mean he was a disqualified missionary. 
And just because your ability to talk of the gospel with your friends may be limited, that does not mean you are disqualified from sharing what you do know. For Apollos shared what he did know, and he learned what he did not, which I think is a good example for each of us. Apollos did the best that he knew how, which was the baptism of John in chapter 19, verse 3. And then Paul filled in the gaps that then benefited all of the disciples. To illustrate this, I think it's important for us to remember that believers don't have to get everything correct in order to be useful. My faith story through my high school years was very much one rooted in we must be right and we must expose all that is wrong about the other Christians. My freshman year in Bible college was marked by an awakening of how great the grace of God is and how God's grace imputes the righteousness of Christ so that I stand full and complete in the sight of God. My righteousness is Christ's righteousness, so I stand complete, not as if I have to earn something more. That was my freshman discovery. My second year of Bible college is when I started learning the language that the Bible was recorded in in the New Testament. And we use the book of Philippians as our text to learn how to translate from the ancient language into our current language. And as we went through the book of Philippians, I still remember how shocked I was to learn that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that there was reason to rejoice even if others don't get it all right. For Paul wrote in Philippians 1, verse 18. What then? In that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, yes, I will rejoice. See, other preachers may not get it right, but if they are preaching Christ, I will compliment them on the good that they're doing. Even if they do it for the wrong reason, if they do it out of the wrong motive, even if they, if they don't get it 100% right, if they are proclaiming Christ, the true Christ, I'll rejoice in that. As a matter of fact, I, I learned that God just might be able to use people who disagreed with me about the issue of baptism, about the issue of eternal security, about the issue of spiritual gifts. It just seemed like God was at work, even if they didn't agree with me. And the lesson for us from Apollos is do the best that you can and God will receive glory from that as long as we continue to be teachable about the things that we don't yet fully understand. See, John preached and baptized for repentance, looking forward to a remedy to sin and brokenness. And belief in Jesus is the remedy for that brokenness. And so Apollos preached repentance and Paul says Jesus is a remedy for that repentance. Repentance sets up for us a stage 
for belief. For we will see later in Acts chapter 26 to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, that they may turn from the power of Satan to God. It's two 90-degree turns. Repentance is when we turn from sin. Belief is when we turn to God. Repentance is when we admit that we are broken, and when we believe, we complete the turn. The from to is an important lesson that we both need to turn from something and we need to turn to something. We must rely on the power of God to grant us forgiveness. It's not enough to admit that we are sinners. We trust in the power of God to give us forgiveness and sanctification. See, God's power working through Paul around Ephesus, as was true in Peter and John around Jerusalem, it led some of the people to desire the power, but they wanted to do it without the repentance, the belief, or the forgiveness. They saw what Paul was doing, and so they turned from their way of doing it, and they said, I want that magic power. But they tried to do it without placing their trust in Christ. They tried to turn to the power without turning to the Savior in their repentance and in their belief. And so we see later on that that halfway obedience is no obedience because the power of God intrigues the the magicians. They wanted the power, but they didn't want to submit to the Lord. God was at work. Paul was merely the instrument And the imposters tried to invoke the name of Jesus without personalizing his work and his call to obedience. They wanted power without the sacrifice. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. All three of these gospels give the same three-ingredient recipe for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We can't only admit our brokenness, but Jesus told his disciples, if you want to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a 180-degree turn from what we were to where we are going, and we can't do it halfway. But the magicians wanted to do it halfway. They wanted the power to do miracles without the obedience of following Christ himself. These magicians wanted power without obedience. They wanted signs without surrender. They wanted miracles without the master. And the magicians were exposed, literally, in chapter 19, verse 16, as the frauds that they were. And when they were exposed as frauds, it caused righteous fear to spread. And all of those who were dabbling in the magical arts said, it's time that we separate ourselves from those practices. For years now, psychics have been advertising on TV, and charlatans have used tarot cards, palms, and crystal balls to milk money out of the naive. But until a a psychic establishes a series of lottery wins, I'll save my money. 
after all. As long as I separate myself from these types of activities, I can avoid being exposed like the seven sons of Siva. Because imitation only gets someone so far. Timothy, who became a pastor of the church here in Ephesus, was told by Paul, understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. There are people who pretend to be religious. There are people who pretend to be spiritual. There are people who pretend to be Christians, but they haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. They deny the power that comes through submission, the power that comes by taking up your cross and following wholly after Christ. And the best advice to those who are dabbling in all of these other magical arts is just avoid such people. Follow Christ and others who are following him. Never exchange the genuine article for a shiny artifact. And from the exposure of men who were doing the right thing, they wanted to deliver people from spirits. They were doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. We now look ahead and we see the result of those who were committed to doing the wrong thing. Because in the end of Acts chapter 19, we see that the power of God infuriates the religious profiteers. Demetrius is the man who is given a name. He was committed to his own wealth, achieved through the status quo. He said, as long as I keep making statues that people think are gods, they will pay me for those statues. I get rich no harm, no foul, it's all good. He just wanted to keep things rolling along the way they always had been as he goes to the bank, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And as he is trying to make profit off of his handmade statues, he says that there's a man named Paul who is encouraging people to be followers of the way. The way was one of the earliest uh, names for Christianity. And I just found out this morning, an hour ago, that there is an, a cult called The Way that took up residence in the next county over. The Way, as it is used here in Acts chapter 19, was the genuine name of the genuine followers of Jesus. Because Jesus spoke of two ways. And the Christ way was not Demetrius' way. As a matter of fact, we see that Jesus himself says in Matthew 17, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So Jesus spoke of two ways, and those who were followers of the Jesus way are those that are named here in Acts chapter 19. The way of Jesus was never focused 
on monetary wealth. But following Jesus created a loss for those who were doing business as usual. I had two classes, chemistry in high school and apologetics in college. And in both of those classes, the teachers told us early on in the course that they wrote difficult exams that would challenge the most advanced learner in the class. Then they would apply a liberal curve to the grading scale. Now, I was not the curve buster in either class. However, in one situation, I felt very much like Demetrius. See, if nobody did anything about Lynette, my own path would be exposed for what it was, laziness. Demetrius had settled into a profitable career of making silver statues, and people believed that they would earn favor with the gods if they bought one of Demetrius' statues. I had settled into the mindset where I thought chemistry was not part of my career path, and learning the elements and the compounds would not add any value to my life. And as long as Lynette didn't raise the grading scale, but her desire for excellence, she ended up studying medicine at Johns Hopkins University, her desire for excellence in chemistry exposed my path through the status quo as deficient. And just as Lynette busted the curve, which exposed my weakness, Demetrius is worried because Paul is convincing people not to buy her statues, which is going to upset my apple cart so that I'm not as profitable as I used to be. And rather than change his path to follow in the teachings of Paul, Demetrius tried to undermine Paul. Demetrius says, if I can somehow work up some sort of public outrage that silences that Paul, then I'll be able to to cruise along with business as usual. And verses 27 through 29 of chapter 19 go on to tell us how a true statement that God's made with hands are not God's. Yes, it's true that Paul said that. And yes, it is a true statement. But Demetrius takes this true statement, and then he leverages it with an irrational fear. He says, you know, if people buy into that, our own identity is going to be taken away from us. And if our identity is taken away from us, then we will be as nothing. Even the goddess that we follow will become nothing. And so Demetrius takes a true statement, and he introduces fear in such a way that it creates a mob mentality. But any mob that is enraged by a false pretense will eventually be revealed for what it is. And so we get to the end of chapter 19, and we see that the truth eclipses the illusion. Demetrius said this is a situation, but Paul did not allow himself to get drug into the mob and drug into the argument. At our Manly Discussions Bible study on Wednesday, we studied how de-escalating conflict is a mark of godly maturity. 
We looked at examples of how Jesus endured mistreatment but refused to demand his rights. We identified times that Paul was mistreated yet refused to assert his rights. And a hard lesson for us independent, free-thinking, liberty Americans is that sometimes the wisest thing a person can do is to walk away from an enraged person or an enraged crowd and just trust that the truth will prevail. Paul did not allow himself to get drugged into the mire of the conflict. And if, an, uh, and if a mob is unjust, eventually it will be revealed for what it is. For notice the very end of Acts 19. Their own people are now saying, you know, guys, we, we need to bring down the rhetoric. We need to bring down the heat. We need to not be so excited because really we are the ones who are in danger of being charged with rioting. Because there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Demetrius' false accusation is revealed for what it is. And so rather than Paul being drugged into the fight, Paul simply stood back and he allowed them to hang themselves with the noose of their false pretense. From one group who attempts a good thing for a wrong reason and a group that insists on a false thing with no reason, I end this sermon, I cannot end this sermon without mentioning the events that are in the middle of chapter 20, just previous to the reading that I gave a few moments ago. Because in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 7, we see that the power of God invigorates Eutychus. I like this story because it is so easy to see ourselves in the story. Don't all of you see yourselves as a long-winded preacher when you read the story of Eutychus? Oh, I'm just like Paul. I'm a long-winded preacher. Now, I, 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 I know for myself, I couldn't possibly be Paul in this story in Acts 20. Because Paul used many hours, and Paul preached for hours, or used many words and preached for hours. I don't use that many words, do I? Now, I've never died in church, but I can neither confirm nor deny if I've ever fallen asleep when a preacher talked too long. So you can see which of the characters I most easily identify with. And I don't want to be too critical of young Eutychus. After all, even though Paul had prolonged his speech until midnight, and then he talked even longer, there's a mention that there were many lamps burning, which would have created warmth and would have removed oxygen. And even though Ute tried to mediate his sleepiness by sitting close to a window... That strategy of sitting close to a window actually backfired on him. For when he fell asleep, he fell out the window and fell down to the ground. But notice what happened after he fell. Paul raised him as if it's no big deal. Don't get excited, guys. His life hasn't left him. Uh, 
let's get him something to eat, and you can go ahead and take him home. And then as soon as Paul does this, Paul grabs a snack, and then he goes right back to preaching for six more hours. Can I get an amen? I didn't think so. See, I, I may preach longer than some of you are used to, but I've never stopped for a snack, then carried on after re-nourishing. And even though the events did not seem to phase Paul in verse 11, the event made a lasting, significant impact on the crowd in verse 12. Look at the way it is, it is worded in chapter 20, verse 12. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Why doesn't he just say they were very comforted? I think if we saw they were very comforted, we'd just kind of read over the very. But by using the words, not a little, it kind of forces us to to zoom in and to think about it. When the people saw the power of God raise Eutychus, who fell asleep through no fault of his own, they received not just a little bit of comfort. They they received great comfort that God can bring glory to himself even if I get myself in a pickle. God can bring glory to himself even if I create a mess for myself. And when they saw the power of God at work, in Eutychus, who fell asleep there in church, and God raised him, they said, well, maybe God's power is strong enough that it can raise my situation. Maybe God's powerful enough to get me out of the mess that I have created. Maybe God's powerful enough to get me out of the situation that I find myself. I find it amazing that a young man, not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures, he has a name that's easy to remember because it's so unique, but this young man encouraged the entire church that God's power is able to make sense out of my mess. See, Ute's nap did not contribute to his maturity. You won't become more mature if you sleep in church. And Ute's nap was not an indictment of his worldliness. If you nap in church, it's not a surefire indication that you're worldly. Because Jesus' own disciples fell asleep as he was praying in the garden. But Jesus understood the time of the day and their limits of energy and attention. And even though a napping young man was not Paul's desire, the event provided an indication of the power of God to overcome the messes that we get ourselves into, which is not little comfort. See, we all face choices today. When we encounter opposing options, and we must choose either the path of least resistance, I'll just go along with what seems easy, Or we will choose to pursue the truth of God, which introduces the power of God into our situation. When you come to the fork in the road, you can take the wide road or you can choose the narrow road. We will choose the narrow way, 
which introduces the power of God into our situations. See, some think that the path out of a quandary is through dark forces or through spooky spirits. But today's text has shown us that the gospel of Jesus that is accompanied by the power of God is a better option for us when we are uninformed and we don't have all the facts, trust God. When we find ourselves trying to do the good thing, but we're doing it in the wrong way or out of the wrong motivation, choose the God way. When we are challenged by those who hold to wrong beliefs, choose the God way. And finally, when we get ourselves into unnecessary messes, choose the God way. As we prepare to leave this room, I want to remind you of the song that called us to worship. We started with, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And as we leave, I want your ears ringing on an automatic replay 